Okay, uh, thank you everybody for coming. Um, June 8th is Robert Mark Gottlieb. June 15th is Dr. Tsipora Meyer. Um, if anyone is not on my email list, then uh, tell me and I'll put you on the email list. I send out these reminders. Uh, this is uh, Rabbi Schmidman's third time, it's our third season. It's very much appreciated each yeah. and every time. And without further ado, Rabbi Schmidman. Okay, Scott, thank you. Um, okay, so this Shabbos is uh, Parshas Bamidbar. And I hope to relate to Bamidbar, at least to the Aftarah, if not to the Parsha, by the end of the Shir. Uh, but it's also tonight uh, Rosh Chodesh Sivan. So I think people's minds are focused on Shavuos. And therefore my topic is Matan Torah. Uh, specifically, uh, Maimonides, uh, Halevi, and Albo on the scenario at Sinai. Now, a heads up here. Uh, a, few, a number of years back, um, I presented an expanded version of this in, in the shul on a Yomi Yun on a Sunday, uh, sponsored by Torah. Uh, so if any of you were there at that shir and remember everything that I said, uh, then you have my permission to quietly slip down with uh, no offense taken. However, I should point out that if you were here and you remember everything I said and you stay for the duration of the shir, then I know that you're familiar with the vort of the Chidushe Harim. The first Gerer Rebbe uh, used to say, he used to ask, why is it that the other two Regalim, Pesach and Sukkot, both have a Shabbos preceding it that has a special designation. Before Pesach, you have Shabbos Agadol. Before Sukkot, a little before Sukkot, you have Shabbos Shuvah. But when it comes to Shavuos, there's no special appellation to the uh, Shabbos Bamidbar that precedes Shavuos. So the Chidush Harim suggested that this Shabbos, before Matan Torah, should be called Shabbos Derech Eretz. Why? Because Chazal say in Vayikarab, Derech Eretz, Kadma LaTorah. And I assume that anyone who is here and remembers everything that I, that I said and still stays the duration of the shir is matpid in the days prior to Shavuos on Derech Eretz. You don't want to cause any offense to the speaker. So I'll assume that's the case. Uh, but you still have the choice. <coughs> and with that we begin. Um, okay. Matan Torah. That's the revelation, the communication of the Torah at Sinai, the only moment in recorded history in which an entire people participated in a prophetic experience of divine communication. The unique moment in which an entire people, all Am Yisrael, heard, distinctly heard, the Aseris Hadibras. Or did they? No medieval Jewish thinker disputes the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu communicated the Aseris Hadibras, the ten utterances that according to the Sefer Chinuch, uh, are comprised of 14 mitzvahs. But not all Rishonim agree as to what all Am Yisrael actually heard at that moment. Thus, on the one hand, you have Yehuda Levi, Rihal in the Kuzari, who states unequivocally that the entire people distinctly heard every word of their Seres HaDibras. And I'll quote you from the Kuzari Part 1, Paragraph 87. God commanded the people to prepare themselves morally that's Shoshis Mehagbala, as well as physically, enjoining them to keep aloof from their wives and to be ready to hear the words of God. The people prepared and fitted themselves to receive prophetic ins- uh, inspiration and even actually to hear in person the words of God. This came to pass three days later and was preceded by overwhelming phenomena, lightning, thunder, earthquake, and fire, which surrounded Mount Sinai. 
The fire remained visible to the people 40 days. They also saw Moses enter it and emerge from it. They distinctly heard the ten dibros, the ten dibros, the source and foundation of the law. And Halevi continues, these ten dibros were not received by the people through the intermediary of, of individuals or a prophet, but directly from God. So according to Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, the scenario at Sinai directly involved the entire people in the experience of distinctly hearing Devar Hashem. That's clear. The Rambam, however, insists upon a different scenario at Sinai. Writes the Rambam in the Guide of the Perplexed, Moren of Uchim, Part 2, Chapter 33, It is clear to me that at Matan Torah, not everything that reached Moshe also reached all Israel. Speech, Dibur, was addressed to Moshe alone. So, in other words, only Moshe, according to the Rambam, heard distinct words. Dibur, Hashem's communication. The Rambam goes on to explain that the people of Israel, for most of the Aseris Hadibros, were merely eyewitnesses of a prophetic communication that directly affected only Moshe. Indeed, this is why, suggests the Rambam, that the Aseris Hadibros are formulated in the second uh, person uh, singular. You have Lo Lecha. Elohim Achirim. Uh, for only Moshe Rabbeinu was equipped to distinctly hear and understand that Dibur. As to the rest of the people, what did they hear? They heard a sound. As the Pasuk in Vashanan precisely formulates it according to the Rabbam, Kol Devarim Atem Shomim. A Kol, not a Dibur. Uh, as far as the other people are concerned. And, and that sound was heard each according to his or her capacity to hear. And that special sound had to be fully explained by Moshe. In fact, the Rambam suggests that even that sound was heard by the people only in the first two Dibras, because that's what Chazal say were communicated to everyone mipi hadvura, directly. The people, uh, and the other eight, would have been therefore communicated through Moshe. Uh, the people realized, of course, that they were witnessing a divine revelation. That's what's so unique about all this. Uh, and they were convinced beyond doubt of the authenticity and the veracity of Nevoah's Moshe. But the prophetic communication of Hashem's will, the distinct Dibur, insists the Rambam, was to Moshe alone. That's the Rambam. The first two Dibur, wasn't there a difference between the first two? Yeah, so that's what he's saying. The first two on the that's when B'nai Israel heard the call. The Kaldivarim, only in the first two. And, and what did they hear for the last eight? The eight, he, he says, they were eyewitnesses of Moshe's receiving it. No call even. That's the, that's the Rambam. Then you have a compromise position that was suggested in the early 15th century by Rav Yosef Albo in his Sefer Hikarim. Uh, he claims that since Moshe was so eminently qualified to receive prophetic revelation at Sinai, there was something that we might call prophetic fallout. That is, this Nevoah uh, fell out on the others who were gathered with him, but were not as qualified as Moshe to receive it directly. In other words, the impact of the event was uniform due to one uniquely qualified individual, Moshe Rabbeinu. This is how Albo uh, describes it. He compares the phenomenon of prophetic fallout to bright sunshine striking a polished mirror. What happens? The light bounces off the mirror and it illuminates dark areas across from it with the same level of light. So too, Moshe served at this, as this reflecting mirror, elevating all of Israel to the level of prophecy. And uh, 
this, in this way, everyone could equally hear and experience the revelatory moment of Matan Torah. This is uh, according to Rav Yosef Alba. So my question that I want to discuss with you tonight is what are they arguing about? What underlies this disagreement concerning the scenario at Sinai? Okay? Uh, why did they come to these uh, somewhat different, you might even say radically different uh, conceptions of what actually occurred at the time of Matan Torah? So I would suggest to you that what they're arguing about is something that I like to talk about. I've talked about this over the years. And it's, that is a centuries-old controversy over the role of intellectual inquiry, philosophic inquiry, scientific inquiry in Judaism, in Yahadis. What's the role of intellectual inquiry? So. Of the Deber Panam, Panam is not a problem. They were eyewitnesses. That's this unique event where an entire people witnessed prophetic revelation. That never happened anywhere else. But the um, Deber, then you have to say Deber through Moshe. I understand. Not everything fits Chad v'chalat, but some things do. Everybody else has to explain why does it say Lo Yelacha. Okay. If everything was so simple, there would be no Machlok. Okay. All right, here we go. So I would suggest that what underlies this disagreement is this ongoing controversy that I'll try to um, uh, explicate concerning the role of intellectual inquiry in Judaism. Philosophically inclined rabbis over the centuries insisted upon the primacy of rational investigation and demonstration of religious principles, of Yisodei HaTorah. Philosophic inquiry and knowledge maintains this camp is essential to a spiritually vibrant, truly religious life, and it's indispensable in the attainment of shleimut, of religious perfection. This is one camp. Uh, they, according to this camp, uh, one accepts the truths and commandments of revelation as authoritative because of their divine source, because they're divinely revealed. Yes. But the person who utilizes rational inquiry in the service of religious truth, that is, the person who demonstrates the contents of the Masorah, for example, using principles of physics to demonstrate the existence of God, using principles of moral philosophy to explicate the reasons for the commandments, that person uh, is, uh, has achieved a higher level of religious attainment. Now, this attitude is spelled out in unequivocal terms by the Rambam in, in all his work, in his halachic work, for example, Yisodia Torah Perak Dalit, we won't look at that now, uh, but I'll allude to it again soon. Um, but especially in the Mar Nevuchim, in the guide, in the famous chapter, part 3, chapter 51, which is known as the Mashal Haramon, the palace metaphor. So in that chapter, the Rambam sets up the image of a king in his palace. And various groups of subjects are trying to reach the palace and enter it, but they're only able to advance up to certain points. So what is the Rambam doing? He's, he's uh, presenting a metaphor that represents a hierarchy of religious attainment. Now, I won't go into all the different levels here. We don't have to talk about the people who are not even in the Medina. They're not in the country. They can't even get near They can't even see the palace. We're not talking about the people who are even worse, who are uh, maybe a little closer. They're in the Medina, but they're turned the wrong way because they have corrupt, idolatrous uh, beliefs. So every time they take a step, they're going further and further away from the palace. Let's talk about the people who are actually moving toward the palace. So in these groupings, you have 
what the Rambam calls the Amei Haaretz who observe mitzvahs. These are people who observe with little or no understanding of what they're doing and why, but they observe. So these people are seeking to reach the, the ruler's palace, but, but they have trouble even seeing it. Ahead of them are good Tamudim, good Talmudis, who observe the law and study the law, but they do not philosophically inquire into the fundamentals of their religion, into the Yisod Hadas. That they do not do. So they come up to the palace, says the Rambam. They walk around it, seeking to enter. But, insists the Rambam, only the person who has progressed beyond the mastery of the law. Now, mastery of the law for the Rambam is prior. Mastery of the law is indispensable. Mastery of the law leads one to moral perfection. But only one who has advanced beyond that to become a religious philosopher and engages in metaphysical speculation and demonstration of Yisodi HaTorah, only that person can be with the king in the inner habitation of the palace. Okay? That's the Rambam's position in terms of his hierarchy. Now, not everyone would agree with this position, uh, with this hierarchy, with this implication that Talmud study and observance of mitzvahs, even though they're vital, are not enough to achieve the very highest level. And you can see the, uh, the reaction, for example, in the late 15th century commentary on the God of the Perplexed, uh, written by Rav Shemtov ben Yosef ibn Shemtov, obviously not to be confused with his grandfather Shemtov ibn Shemtov, because his grandfather was the arch Maimonidean. He was uh, uh, totally hostile to the Rambam's philosophic gisha in his Sefer Amunos, written around 1400. And the grandson was a Maimonidean. That's how families work. Uh, so he, uh, the, the grandson was a philosophic Maimonidean. And here he's writing a parish on the God of the Perplexed. And he mentions on this chapter that there are many contemporary rabbis who go so far as to question whether the Rambam really wrote this chapter. And okay, if he did, then better it should be hidden or better yet, burned. This is the reaction that you see to the Rambam's position uh, that you have to go beyond Talmud and Mitzvahs in order to reach the highest level. Um, by the way, if you go back to Parak Dalev, Hilchas Yisari Torah, that I alluded to before, without going into the whole context there, uh, the different context, but the position is the same. The Rambam takes the same position, Dalet Yid Gimel there. And, and you look at the Kesev Mishnah, yes? One particular uh, position, there are three positions that are put forth by the Rambam, which were the ones that create the greatest tension among the people? Is it, is it one, the fact that people who are on the arts are really nobody? Or the two, knowing the law and not having a philosophical which is the third the se- second sounds a lot like this that people know the law they know Torah they observe Torah, they study Torah yeah, they're but they're not religious what specifically do they identify their objections yeah okay so okay so give me a few, a few minutes on that I'm not going to cover all the, the range of the objections because I don't have time to do that uh, and we're not going to to get into the issue of to what extent this kind of religious uh, philosophic investigation can be dangerous. Uh, that's a separate issue, but I, I want to deal with a more fundamental issue and that whether you should be investigating, whether you must investigate in order to achieve the highest uh, madrega, or is there another route that's preferred? Let's start with that. It's, there are answers to that, as you know, but uh, that'll take longer. <laughs> okay. 
but I, I'll address some of it. But, um, uh, what, oh, but in, in Yisodei Torah, you get reactions that are analogous to the reaction of the contemporary rabbis in the 15th century that are quoted by Shemta ben Yosef and Shemta. You have, for example, the Kesef Mishnah. The Kesef Mishnah of Yosef Cairo in his commentary on the Mishnah Torah. And who is a, a greater admirer than the, uh, of the Rambam than the Kesef Mishnah? Than of Yosef Cairo, obviously. And yet, when it comes to this position, in this point, uh, Kesef Mishnah says right there in Dalet Yud Gimel, in his Kesef Mishnah, the Harambam Kasav The Rambam on this issue wrote what he wanted. Better that he should not that it should not have been written. And then he quotes the Ritva, and of course the Ritva was the one who wrote Sefer Zikaron, defending the Rambam from the criticisms of the Ramban against the Rambam from his Parish Torah. And the Ritva says, God will atone for the Rambam on this. So you see, the reaction was very strong. Um, in any case, first, before we get to more reactions, if we can get to it, I'd like to get to the other positions. So you have, on the other extreme, Rav Yehuda Levi. Let's get back to Rihal. Uh, he was, of course, chronologically prior to the Rambam. We know from Geniza documents, it would appear that he died in 1141 in Eretz Israel, And the Rambam was only a few years old then. Uh, so he's representative of the other extreme of those who argue that an undemonstrated unphilosophically examined faith is religiously superior to a philosophically demonstrated faith in other words if you unquestioningly accept religious tradition the Messorah on the basis of authority it's divine authority that's an indication of a healthy religious soul that's not uh, uh, encumbered by all these externally induced perplexities. A good statement of the uh, Halevi's position is found in the Kuzari, part 1, paragraph 26. That's that, if you're familiar with the Kuzari, that's that long paragraph. And toward the end of it, he says the following. He's trying to give uh, reasons for the uh, Karbanos, possible reasons for Karbanos. And he concludes by saying, I do not, God forbid, assert that the intention of the sacrificial service was exactly as here expounded. He says, you, you, don't, you can take or leave my uh, attempts to explain Karbanas. Indeed, it is more obscure and loftier. It is commanded by God. And he who accepts it with all his heart, without scruple, okay, without scrutiny, is superior to the man who scrutinizes and investigates. He, however, who descends from the highest grade to scrutinizing does well to seek a wise reason for these commandments. So note that both Rambam and Halevi are working with hierarchies. They both have ladders of religious attainment. They're going up, they're going down, descending from one level to the other level. Except that for Halevi, use of and reliance upon philosophy and theology, that places you on a lower rung of the hierarchy. Okay, that's a concession to a perturbed or perplexed soul. And here it's interesting to compare or contrast the Rambam and Halevi with regard to who is the perplexed person. If you look at the Rambam in the introduction to the Moret Nebuchim, he says he's writing it for somebody who's proficient in, in uh, Torah, in religion, in faith, and proficient in the philosophic sciences. And because this person is on such a high level, this person is perplexed by certain questions and has to reconcile the knowledge from those two sources or understand how to uh, view one in the light of the other. And, and, um, this is, and he's writing the God of the perplexed for that person. So the perplexed person is on a pretty high level for the Rambam. 
it's not easy to be perplexed for the Ram. But as far as Halevi is concerned, the perplexed person is the person who's on the lower level and needs philosophy perhaps to help uh, him out or her out. And um, for Halevi, um, therefore, once you have a problem, philosophic inquiry could be used to help resolve it. But the highest goal for the Halevi is to affirm tradition with pure faith without any recourse to philosophy. This is piety of the highest level. And that's what the Halevi also says in Book 5 of the Kuzari. There he compares the religious philosopher to someone who studies the laws and the technicalities of the disciplines of art or poetry or music. So the highest level to which this student can attain, even after years in a conservatory studying uh, art, music, uh, or, or poetry, the highest level, says uh, Halevi, is to become like the person who's naturally gifted in art or music. So too, says Halevi, the highest goal of the religious philosopher with all his investigations and all his dialectics is that his mind and soul should achieve a certainty of religious fundamentals. And that certainty is already found in the naturally pious person who doesn't need all of these investigations and dialectics. He's just trying to get to the level of the naturally pious person. Indeed, I'd like to tell this story, some of you may have heard it in other contexts. When you read Halevi on this subject, I'm reminded of the story related of the 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. So, um, uh, and, and it's a story that involves Kierkegaard and the 11th century church theologian Anselm. So Anselm, you may know, was the author of a short but very compelling and still very much debated uh, argument, it's only a few lines long, for the existence of God. Uh, I don't want to get into it now, but it's an argument that moves from a dictionary definition of God that everyone can accept to the logical conclusion that God necessarily exists, if you accept that definition. Uh, So it was reported that when Anselm was about to formally compose his proof, he first entered church and he knelt in prayer petitioning for divine assistance, for siyata deshmaya in this enterprise, And then he left the church and composed his proof. So the story is that Kierkegaard in the 19th century, when he heard about this, he remarked, what a fool Anselm was. There he was in the very embrace of God, in prayer, in the church. And then he leaves that embrace, he leaves that certainty of faith to go out and try to prove that God exists. So as far as Kierkegaard was concerned, uh, what Anselm did was to descend from the higher level of being in the embrace of God with perfect certainty of faith and go down to a level where now he's trying to prove does God exist or not. Uh, And you can sense the affinity here to the Halevian view that to engage in rational demonstration of the fundamentals of faith is a descent from the highest level to a lower level of religious attainment. So you have two different, very different opposing positions on the issue of the role of philosophic inquiry in Judaism. Or to put it another way, you have two views on who is the religiously superior Jew. The Rambam holds that the person who accepts and studies Torah and then uses philosophy and scientific inquiry to intellectually understand the fundamental theological principles of the Torah, to understand God and the Torah and His creation, that person is on the highest madrega. Whereas Halevi believes that the unquestioning, pious individual who has no desire, no need for philosophic inquiry, that person is on the highest madrid. And with that background in mind, I invite you to join me. Let's go back to Harsinai, to the moment of Matan Torah at Harsinai.
the three positions that we had before on the scenario at Sinai. So I believe that recognizing the existence of these differing positions on the issue of intellectual inquiry in Judaism allows us to understand our original controversy. Matan Torah was the scene of prophetic communication of God's will. Okay? Now the level of prophecy is the highest spiritual stage to which a person can attain to be a prophet. That's the highest level to which you could aspire. If so, it's clear that the Rambam would require such an individual to have successfully utilized rational inquiry in, in the service of faith to the point that he or she is with the king in the palace prior to the possibility of receiving prophecy. Right? You have to be a nice madrega. Uh, so, for the Rambam, in order then to, um, to be a viable candidate for prophecy, you have to be on the highest rung of the ladder of religious perfection. Now, what happened at the time of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim? According to the Rambam's position, it would be impossible to imagine that all of Israel, so recently slaves in Mitzrayim, that each one had perfected himself or herself intellectually as well as morally to the point that prophecy is uniformly possible. How could it be overnight? can't be. They simply could not have suddenly become trained, rigorous philosophers in a day. And... Moshe Rabbeinu, however, had years of preparation for Nevoah prior to his arrival in Egypt. Therefore, the Rambam's reading of the events at Sinai, only Moshe heard distinct deeper because only Moshe could have possibly been qualified with the intellectual preparation and training that goes into the reaching of the highest level of Nevoah. Halevi, on the other hand, sees prophecy as a gift from a Kadosh Baruch who bestowed upon any genuinely pious person, a Lamed Vavnik out there who is genuinely pious, a tzaddik gomer, who may be totally ignorant of the arts and sciences and how to apply them to the demonstration of religious principles, doesn't know anything about that, but whose faith is unblemished and certain and whose attention is devoted totally to the study and application of God's will. So Halevi now can point to Shloshes Mehagbala. There's a three-day period prior to Matan Torah. That's the means through which each person dedicated himself to absolute obedience to the divine will during those three days. And that enabled each person to reach the highest rung of religious perfection. And therefore, each one, everyone, could participate equally in the prophetic experience of hearing Dibur at Matan Torah. That's Halevi. Which brings us to Alba. Yeah. For that... How do you fit the entire Rabbah Shita into, uh, into your explanation of the Rabbah's philosophy of attainment? Meaning, yes. it was only the first two. How do you explain? No, it, 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 no, it, it fits in perfectly that the, in the first two, the way he goes on to explain, each person who heard a call heard that call to the extent of their training and their preparation, to the extent that they were further up on the ladder of religious perfection, to the extent so that then they, they would hear three, the, four, uh, a, a more distinct call. Why didn't the Hamonan hear three? They weren't ready. They just, there was, they just could not possibly be ready because for the Rambam, if you read, you have to look in the Mar Nebuchim, part 1, chapters 31 to 34. There he gives you the preparation, uh, the preparatory schedule that's necessary 
for achieving a high level of religious attainment. So he says, you know, after learn Torah, then you've got to learn uh, logic and math and biological sciences, which you know already, and the uh, and, and uh, physics and metaphysics, uh, ethics, etc. Then you have to learn how to apply one to the other. You have to make sure your moral uh, uh, disposition is is uh, perfectly in balance. And and this uh, takes a long time to learn all this. He says there in chapter uh, thirty-four, part one, chapter thirty-four, that if you wake somebody up in the middle of the night and you say to them, "Would you like to know everything that there is to know about uh, the secrets of?" Uh, the celestial realm and, and God's uh, uh, nature, etc., they'll say, sure. And then if you tell them how long it'll take in order to, to what they have to do in order to attain that, how many years they now have to study, they'll, they'll roll over and they'll go back to sleep, more, more or less. That's a paraphrase of what he said. Uh, uh, so, no, that's your answer. They're not ready. So that fits into his... Uh, but uh, what about Albo? Where does he come from with his compromised position? So it would appear that he was forced into his compromise, into this prophetic fallout position. Why? Because on the one hand, he agrees with the Rambam that you need intellectual perfection for prophecy. And if he agrees with the Rambam, then only Moshe Rabbeinu could have possibly been qualified at that moment. So he agrees with them. However, he also, he doesn't want to conclude with the Rambam's picture of Matan Torah. He opts for a Halevian depiction of the events at Sinai, in which everybody heard distinct words. So... For Alba, what was the way in which you could have everyone who was not qualified hear distinct deeper? It had to be that the immediate presence of all Am Yisrael at this, um, at this uh, pinnacle of prophetic communication provided the opportunity for this prophetic fallout that affected the entire people equally at that unique moment. That's Rav Yosef Alba. So he has the best of both worlds. He has the Rambam's... Uh, uh, depiction of how to reach the highest level of religious perfection because he too is a philosopher um, of a different sort but a philosopher and he gets the Halevian depiction of the events at Sinai. So, uh, so I'd like to add a little bit to this. I would suggest that the whole issue, this whole issue underlying the controversy over the scenario at Sinai, the role of intellectual inquiry in Judaism, this is a fundamental issue whose repercussions are evident throughout Jewish history. Uh, for example, you can't fully uh, comprehend the controversy over the study of philosophy in the Jewish community that raged between the 12th and 14th centuries without understanding this issue, because they're always arguing about this. Other issues come up, as it's mentioned. I don't want to get into them now. I don't have time to get into them now. Specific issues, from Tchias Mesim to, to radical allegorization of scripture, etc. But this issue never goes away. It's always there. And in fact, it didn't go away after a ban was declared against the study of philosophy in 1305 in Barcelona. First of all, that was a weak and ineffective ban. The main reason for the lull of uh, afterward in the controversy was the expulsion of the Jews from southern France in 1306, a year later. But the controversy was rekindled in other places, in other times, and it's still very much with us today. The whole tension and conflict within uh, orthodoxy, between the more Haredi and Yeshivish community on the one hand, or the more modern or centrist orthodox community on the other, with regard to issues like curriculum in a school, or attitudes towards secular studies, that's a modern manifestation of an age-old uh, controversy. Because after all, how you structure a yeshiva or a Jewish college has much to do with who you think is the ideal educated Jew to be produced by that curriculum and that education. And that goes back to this controversy. Um, now, if you ask me which position 
the Rambam or Halevi is more authentic, more firmly rooted in Jewish tradition, I like to say that I honestly don't know. Uh, I think that both positions are tenable, and you can't conclusively demonstrate one or the other, and I'll give you a ra'ayah to that. There's a pasuk in Divrei Yamim, this is in Divrei Yamim Aleph, Perak Chavches. Uh, this is how the Pasuk reads So this is David HaMelech speaking He says And you, Solomon, my son You should know the Lord of your father And serve him Now for the Rambam In the Marnavuchim Part 3, Chapter 51 That same chapter This Pasuk is an affirmation Of the indispensability Of rational, philosophic inquiry in order to attain to the highest level of service of Hashem, to to the level of Da'avdehu. Why? Because it says Da, and the word Da in all of its forms was taken by medieval philosophers to mean rational demonstration of the fundamentals of faith. It's a catchword for philosophic inquiry. You look, for example, at Rabachim Pekuta in the introduction, but also in Shar Aleph of. those are the two parts that Yeshiv, Lithuanian yeshivas would never read. The introduction and the first shah. But this is why. In the first shah, he has a whole parak in which he brings pasuk after pasuk that has the word all the pasukim that start that have da and all of them says affirm the mandate and the obligation to philosophically inquire into the principles of faith. That's what the Da means. And so, therefore, the Rambam in part 3, chapter 51, he interprets the Pasuk from Divrei Yamim as the Ra'ayah for his view. David says to Shlomo, Da, philosophically inquire into your religion, and then Vavdehu, then ultimately you could serve Hashem on the highest possible level. So what about Halevi? Halevi knew Tanakh very well. He was a great poet, obviously. He knew Tanakh through and through. So, with the whole Tanakh in front of him, what Pasuk does he choose to, uh, to prove his position on this issue? He takes the same Pasuk. In the Kuzari part 5, he picks this Pasuk from Divrei Yaman, except he puts the emphasis on a different part of the Pasuk. Da es Elokeovicha. The emphasis is on the words Elokeovicha. Know the Mesorah that's passed down by your fathers. That's what you have to know. If you accept the religious faith of Avicha without questioning, if you know that, then Vavdehu, then you'll reach the level of service on the highest possible Madrega. So I would suggest to you, if you can take the very same proof text for two diametrically opposed positions, Mena Katzel HaKatzel, and that should tell you something about how difficult it is to prove conclusively whether either one of them is um, more correct or more uh, uh, authoritative. Uh, now, I have a couple of minutes. I have something more to cover and then uh, I promise to get to Bar Mitzvah, but that will only take a minute. Uh, are there, are there uh, views in between? In between the Rambam and the Halevi, if indeed they are Mina Katsel So yes, there are. Uh, one example would be Rav Sajigon, writing in the 10th century in the Hakdamata and Munoz Videos. Says, uh, we'll do it quickly, says Rav Sajigon, God commanded us to inquire patiently until the truth of tradition is brought out by philosophic speculation. Now that sounds a lot like the Rambam, doesn't it? The, the later position of the Rambam. But then a few lines later, he says, in the case of some of us, it may take a very long time until our philosophic speculation is completed. But we shall be none the worse for that. 
But why? Because you have it all in the Masorah, you know, without the philosophic demonstration in any way. And he says, even people incapable of speculation will possess a complete religion. Rambam could never say that. So, some of it sounds like the Rambam, some of it doesn't sound like the Rambam. Where does he stand? So, to make it clearer, uh, characteristically, Rav Saji gives us an arithmetical example. He says, for example, let's say a person has a thousand dinar, gold dinar, and he wants to distribute it. So he uh, uh, distributes some of it. So he distributes five to five people, he gives each one 20 and two-fifth dinar. And then six people each get 16 and two-third dinar. Seven people each get 14 and two-seventh dinar. Eight people each receive 12 and three-eighths dinar. And nine people each get 11 dinar. And now the person wants to know how many dinarim are left. <laughs> okay, the answer is 500, exactly. 500 dinar. So, says Rasaja, there are two ways to make sure that everyone believes that answer with perfect certainty. The first way, he says, is to take the remaining 500 dinarim of gold, put it on a scale, weigh it, and the digital readout will say 500 dinarim. Everyone is, as he says, that everyone's obliged to believe it. But they are now at leisure, he says, to arrive at the same knowledge by a different method, namely by working it out arithmetically, each according to his capacity and understanding. So according to Rav Sajah, you can reach the same level of certainty of understanding, certainty of faith, either by rational demonstration of fundamental principles of faith, that's doing the math, and that's what Rav Sajah personally prefers, or by simply accepting those fundamental principles as transmitted by the Masorah, by Elokei Ovicha, and that's the digital readout. Both avenues lead to the same level of religious shalemut. And what we have then are different strokes for different folks, perhaps, but the different methods are qualitatively equal as far as Rasag seems to be concerned. So if Rambam is on one end of the spectrum and Halevi is on the other end, Rasag would be somewhere near the middle. And perhaps when you read Rasag, it makes you think in terms of Musa Haskell, uh, that maybe if uh, everybody thought about that a minute, all the different segments of the Orthodox Jewish community, that maybe there are different but equally valid avenues towards Shleimut, maybe there would be a little more mutual respect, maybe we could learn from each other. There's perhaps a bit of Musa Haskell, especially, and now I'll get to Bamidbar, uh, in the days right before Shavuos. Because Shavuos is the yantiv of Aftus of unity. And of course, everybody's familiar with the Mechilta that Rashi calls Vayichan Shem Yisrael Neged Ahar. Vayichan Yisrael is in the singular because they're Ishechad Belevechan. But that also is uh, confirmed by the Haftorah and reinforced by the Haftorah of Bamidbar. So we'll say something about Bamidbar for a moment. Uh, there's something unique about this Haftorah. Uh, this Shabbos. Uh, sometimes you get Mochachodesh Shabbos, but this Shabbos you get the Haftorah of Bamidbar, which is the Haftorah of Hosea, Perak Bez. Now I saw it years ago, and I noticed that Rav Yehuda Shaviv in his Sefer and Haftorah also makes a point of this. If you look at the Encyclopedia Talmudit, under Haftorah, at the end of the entry, there's a long chart that goes on for pages that details every single Shabbos Haftorah during the year, and what the different minhagim are in the different communities. What do Ashkenazim do? What does Faradim do? What do Teimanim, Edotim, Mizrach, etc.? On every single Shabbos Haftorah. And on every single one, there are differences. Sometimes it's a totally different part of Navi. Sometimes the Pesukei Siyum are different, just a couple of Pesukim at the end. Sometimes the first Pesukim are different. 
except for one, only one Haftarah, the entire year, is uniform in all the Eidot of Am Yisrael. And that's Shabbos Tamidbar, which is Vayichan Sham Yisrael Neged Ahar. And in fact, if you look at Hosea, you read, uh, in contrast to the Sedra of Bamidra. In the Sedra, it seems, what do you have? You have the whole people divided into Shvatim, Machanos, the Galim. But the Pasuk in Hosea about a time to come is that, and we'll conclude with this, V'nik betzu b'nei Yehudah, v'nei Yisrael yachdav, everyone will come together, v'samu lahem roshechan. And they'll have one leader over a unified uh, united Am Yisrael, the Cheni Ratzan, the Hera Yameno, Amen. Thanks very much. much. Uh, two weeks, next week is Shkos. Ah. Shkos. Thank you very much. Okay.